invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 this morning. If you weren't with us last week, uh, we did begin a new series uh, going through the book of Genesis. And so last week we covered chapter 1. We saw the creation of all things that exist outside of God himself, God the creator of all those things. We saw his power and we saw his authority and we saw the, the wisdom with which he designed all the things that he made. We saw how he was able to create everything that exists out of nothing simply by the power of his word. What an amazing chapter Genesis chapter 1 is. And this Wednesday, if you weren't here Wednesday night, we were able to look back and, of course, we had seen the first six days, the six days of creating last Sunday, and then Wednesday we looked at the seventh day. We spent some time looking at the Sabbath and the, the beauty of of the Sabbath day that the Lord has given us as a day of rest. This morning we're going to continue with the rest of chapter 2, and there's again a lot here, just like chapter 1. In chapter 2, these first few chapters of Genesis especially are so rich, and there's so much in them. And a lot of it, I think at different times, most of us have heard. A lot of the concepts, although they are extremely important, aren't extremely difficult. So we will move quickly this morning, I will talk as fast as I can, which you already know is not very fast, but I will talk as fast as I can if you will listen as fast as you can as we move through Genesis chapter 2 together this morning. Look with me beginning in verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now again, just in these few introductory verses we see a lot. We see... There in verse 4, it, it referring to the days of creation in much the same way that we would see a reference to uh, the lineage of a person. These are the generations. We often see that like these are the generations of Noah or these are the generations. But it speaks of the creation in chapter 1 that way. We see some other things. But the main thing for this morning that we're con concerned with from these verses we just saw is verse 7. This creation of the first man, Adam, the way that he was made. I want us to spend some time this morning to look not only at the fact that he was made, but I want us to look at how God made him, how he was formed, how he was created, because I think we see a lot in the way that God chose to create this first man, Adam. So in chapter 1, it mentions that, uh, that God made the male and female, Adam and Eve, that God made them in his own image that he put his likeness in them so that they would have authority over the rest of creation so already we see that there's something special about the humans that God created that he puts his image in them that he makes them in his likeness that he gives them authority over the rest of the creation that he allows them to reign over the rest of the creation but here we see something even more specific about the way that the man was created in verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So here we see when it says there, the Lord God formed the man of dust, the picture that it's laying out for us 
as is of God taking some of the the dust or some of the ground that he had made and it's a play on words the way it sounds the way in its original language it was God made an earthling of the earth and that's what it's saying is that God took some of the earth that he had created and he molds it or he shapes it he forms the man he he takes very carefully this dust and shapes it into exactly what he wants it to look like and he makes the first man and then in order to bring this this still inanimate object to life he breathes his life his spirit same word here for wind or spirit he breathes into the man into his nostrils the breath of life and the first ever man Adam is created in this way now the wording that's used here for God taking some of the dust and forming the man is the same language that's used in other places in the Old Testament for a potter taking clay and forming it into a pot or something out of it. And we often, I know in the church a lot of times we use that analogy of God is the potter and we are the clay. And you could use that here, but it's used of other things as well. as It's used of other craftsmen. If you were a blacksmith and you were making something out of the metal, it would use the same language. But what we see here is this idea of God specifically taking this and taking time and molding and making when all the things that we've seen made to this point God just speaks and they come he speaks and it happens but here we see him delicately making the first man point one this morning the human design shows delicate care the human design shows delicate care when I read this verse this is what I see I see God as a potter that is making something specifically that he has a vision of that he wants to look a certain way and taking his time to make it just right or a musician that's writing a song who is who is taking the time and who is focusing and who is who is making it uh, a creator of any type taking their craft and making it just so I see that delicate care of God here. He could have just spoken and man would have been formed. He could have done that. He could have just spoken and the man would have been formed just as perfectly as he was. But the fact that here we see for the first time God taking of his creation and molding it into a specific way for me shows to me this delicate care. It sets apart this first man from the rest of the things that have been created. Now he's already set apart because he's made in God's image. And he's given God's authority. But here he's set apart even more in the way that he is fashioned and formed. And by the fact that God breathes his very breath into the man to bring him to life. It's also, I see in this, God holding this man and making him. I see, as we think here on Mother's Day, I see the picture of a mother. Y'all know that uh, Amanda, my wife, uh, loves being a mother and she loves holding our children and I see in this God having the man in his hand and forming him and bringing him to life and, and putting his image in this man I see much the same picture that I see in a loving mother holding her child and looking on the child and seeing in this child a picture of her image and, and having something this life that she can hold that is precious and meaningful to her I see a lot of the same picture in the way that this describes God forming the man. But not only the man, because 
we, I know some ladies might feel left out. I've talked a lot about Adam and the way that he was formed and, and the way that God formed him out of the dust. But here in verse 7, it only talks about the man. So you might ask, well, what about the woman? Well, look with me in verse 21 of the same chapter. It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So we see the same thing here. Eve was made in a very specific way that God takes one of the ribs from Adam. And in the same way, he takes this rib and he, he molds it and he builds it into just what he wants the woman to be. Again, we say the same picture. It's different from all the rest of creation. The man is formed of the dust and made just so, and the woman is taken from the rib and, and molded and made just so. So in both of these, in the creation of human beings, we see this delicate care that God has for us. But then we could ask the question, the fair question, is it just for Adam and Eve? Right Now, how many of you here this morning did God take you from dust and form you and then breathe life into you and that's how you were born? Now, we've got some mamas here this morning. They're saying that is not how they were born. Now, if you have questions about that, you can ask your mother later. We're not going into it this morning. But I want you to see that just because Adam and Eve were formed that way and we see in the way they were formed God's delicate care that it doesn't stop at Adam and Eve. In Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 16, we read this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We see here David speaking to God in a way that, goes, that relates to all of us in the way that we were made. God is seen here knitting us together in our mother's womb. Not just Adam, not just Eve. Every human, every person that's ever been made was made delicately and preciously by God, knit together. God had a plan for them. God knew in his book he had written every one of the days of their life. Every person we see in the way that they were made, the way that God shows his care for us, we see that all humans, all people are very important and very precious to God. So in his design for humans, we see God's delicate care. I want us to look here in chapter 2, another point that I want us to see in this text. begins in verse 15, if you'd look there with me, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely eat die. The second point that we have this morning, humans are to reign and be reigned. 
Humans are to reign or to rule or to have dominion or to have authority, but we are also to have rule and authority that God is supposed to have dominion over us at the same time. Sometimes when we talk about the creation story, and I think it's because uh, they always tell me the, the people that are writing the history books usually write it in a way that is meaningful to them. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, I hear a lot of talk about the fact that God gave us his image so that we would have authority over the rest of creation. And that's true in, in chapter 1. We see clearly that we are meant to reign. We are meant to have dominion over all the fish and over all the animals and over all the plants, over all the creation. God has given us authority over those things. And I think we talk about that a lot because we like that point, right? We like to be at the top of the pecking order. We like to be in charge. And we see that again here. God makes this, this special garden, the Garden of Eden. He makes this place, and when he makes it, he then puts the man into it in order to, as it says here, work it and keep it. So again, he is in charge of making sure that the things stay in order and things stay in place and that the garden is kept like it's supposed to. The man is ruling and reigning over the garden, and God brings all the animals that he made before the man, and the man gets to name all of these animals. We see that man and woman, that humans were clearly made to have authority over the rest of creation. But sometimes I think we forget and we start to think of ourselves too highly. We were made to be in charge of all of the creation, but we are still part of the creation, which means we are still under the authority of the Creator. Sometimes I think we get a little bit ahead of ourselves and we think that we get to pick and choose what's right and what's wrong, that we get to decide what is good for man and what is not good for man. But what we see clearly here in these verses is just a glimpse of what we see in the rest of the Bible. Verse 16, it said, And the Lord God commanded the man, we see here the authority of God, commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Now, why is that important? Because we see in this text clearly that God is in charge of Adam. The man that he has put his image in, that he has formed from the dust, that he has breathed his life in, that he has given the ability to rule over all of the creation, God is still commanding that man. And we also see in this, because I think most of us know what happens in the next chapter, in chapter 3, we see here that God knows what's good for us more than we know what's good for ourselves. Why is it important that we allow God to be the one in charge, that we are following his plan and not our plan? Because when we follow our plan, we mess up, and when we follow his plan, things go well. We see that here with Adam and Eve in creation, and we see that with ourselves. You may not be able to attest to that this morning, but I can raise my hand and testify that when I have gone my way, it has often ended up being terrible. And when I have followed God's path, I have been thankful that I followed his path because things have gone well, even when I didn't understand where that path was headed. So here we see in this chapter a clear reflection that, yes, we are given authority to be in charge of the rest of the creation, but we are still part of the creation. And it's very important that we not forget the other side of that coin and that we should always bow to the authority of God and follow his plan. 
The last thing that I want to see in this chapter, look with me in verse 20. I'm going to reread some of the text that I read about the creation of the woman. But in verse 20 it says, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the third point that we see here, and I will be honest, all three of these points could have been individual sermons, but I told you I was going to try to move a little more quickly through these chapters than I do sometimes. But the third point that we see here, families also reflect God's care. Families, in the way that the man was created, we see God's delicate care. In the way that families were created, we also see God's delicate care. We see his love for us. We see his provision for us in the way that families were made. Here we see Adam in verse 20. All of the animals, every animal that's been created is, is being brought by him. And they come before him and he gives them names. And, and he, he names all of these animals. And he's also looking at them and he's checking them out and seeing which one might be most suitable, but it says there at the last part of verse 20, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Of all these animals, he looks at every animal created, and none of them would be a suitable helper or companion or spouse for Adam. None of them. And so what does God say? God says, Adam, deal with it. Find something that's close enough and make it work. Right? No. That's not what God says. God doesn't say, don't complain and say these aren't good enough. Just make it work. No, what does God do? God knows that none of these are fitting helper for Adam. So what does he do? He makes a fitting helper for Adam. He takes one of his ribs and he makes for him, out of scratch from nothing, the perfect companion. He didn't have a plan that he had to follow. He gets to make the plan, and he says, if I were deciding for man what a perfect companion would be like, a perfect spouse, a suitable helper, what would it be like? And he makes the woman. You see, in this, he shows Adam the care that he has for him in providing not just something that will work, not just a helper that's good enough, but the perfect companion. And who is the perfect, com perfect companion for a man? A woman. And it works the other way as well. Who's the perfect companion and helper for a, a woman? A man. And God has made it that way. He made in this first family, Adam and Eve, the first family that's ever formed, he shows in the way that he formed them the delicate care, the love that he has for us, that he makes ideal companions for us. And when this works out the way that it's supposed to, when, it, when a man and a woman come together in holy matrimony, the way that God has made it, the way that God has planned it, the way that God has informed us here in his word that it should be done, we see the basis for a family, and it's a strong foundation. 
and it's a beautiful one. So the last thing that I'll do very quickly is give you a couple of things in this text that we see are important for what a marriage should look like. What holy matrimony, what a family that is being formed in God's image of a family looks like. And there are several things here, and I preached on this just a few months back, and so I'm not going to spend too much time here. But the first of these sub-points that we see here is that the basis of the family is to be a marriage between one man and one woman. I just We just saw that. We saw that when God made somebody, when he made a, a, the perfect helper for a man, what did he make? He made a woman. In that, we already see that is God's design for marriage. That is God's design for the family. The second thing that we see here, in verse 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The second thing that we see here is that, that when we marry, we leave one family and create another family. That's what happens here. When you marry, you are leaving your old family, and you are creating a new family. You and your spouse are, no, I know sometimes we think that's a marriage, and when they have kids, it's a family. No, a husband and a wife is a family. That's a new family unit. That's the way that God has informed that things would be. And I think it's very fitting. I think this is a point that should really stand out to us, because in verse 24, when it's talking about Adam and Eve, it says... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And that should pique your interest because who are Adam's father and mother? He doesn't have any, right? He was made from dust. But the fact that God wanted this point to be so clear that even though he's talking about a man and woman that didn't have father and mother, he still adds in this text for our sake so that we would understand what the family should look like that a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In this, there are a lot of other things. Y'all write subpoints to y'all write subpoints to subpoints. Any of y'all that take notes, if you do, here are a couple subpoints to this subpoint. This makes it clear that we should not be cohabitating with someone before we marry them. How is that clear in this verse? says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You cannot leave somebody, you cannot leave father and mother if you've already left them to be with somebody. You cannot leave this family to join this family if you have already left that family to try and create this new family. We shouldn't be cohabitating with somebody that's going to be our spouse before we marry them, and God's word makes that clear here. We also see in that same way, in the same text, in the same verse, that we leave father and mother, that we hold fast to our wife, that we vow to be with them, that we are vowing to cling with to them and to be with them for the rest of our life, and then they shall become one flesh. Makes it clear that not only is cohabitating out of the picture, but being sexually active before you're married is out of the picture. That's not part of God's plan for marriage and the basis of a family is to do those things before you're married. That is going outside of his authority, and we've already seen this morning that that does not work well for us when we go outside of his authority. The other subpoints. this subpoint is that when we do get married, we do have to leave our old families behind, and sometimes that's the part that's hard for us. 
Sometimes we want to be married to our spouse but still do everything that mom and dad say and expect of us. And it's okay to still honor your father and mother, but it's also important that we realize that we have left that family and that we are clinging to this new spouse, this new family that we have formed. This is now the unit that I'm part of, not that one. We need to leave behind the old family, and for some of us that's a hard thing to do. Something else that we see in this text that's very clear is that marriage is meant to be for life. And now, it's not as clear in these specific verses, but Jesus uses these verses to make that clear. In Matthew chapter 19, when he's talking about divorce and giving them the truth that is not part of God's original plan, in Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus, it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Our point here, and then he goes on in the next verse to say, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in that, Jesus uses the Genesis text to apply it this way, that when we enter into a marriage union with our spouse, that we should continue to be with that spouse until death does us part. Let not man separate what God has joined together. The last thing, and if you haven't heard any of the other things, I want you to make sure that you hear this this morning. Because it's easy to hear how God formed Adam and see, man, that does show a lot of love and care. And it's easy for you to hear me this morning saying, you know what, the fact that God has given you a mother and has given your mother maternal instincts and that God has made a basis for your family that would be stable whenever they follow his plan, it's easy to see in that design God's love and care. And the fact that God gives us commandments to keep us from danger, it's easy in all of those things to see God's love and God's care. But the clearest picture in all of the scriptures of God's love and care. You're here this morning and you want me to show you that God loves you, that you are important to Him, even more than showing you that God knit you together in your mother's womb. I would show you the perfect picture of marriage. Again, quoting some of this text from Genesis 2, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He goes on to say, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here we see Paul applying this text in this way. You want to know what marriage should look like. You want to see a picture of holy matrimony done God's way, done the right way a family unit formed in the perfect way, you want to know what that looks like? Look at Christ's love for us as the church. Look at Christ's love for you as his people. He loves us unconditionally. If you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what you do, he does not turn his back on you. That's made clear in the Scripture that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus. He loves unconditionally. That's what the picture of a husband and wife is supposed to look like. He loves sacrificially. We see that in the plan that he had. He knew when he made Adam and Eve. He knew before he made Adam and Eve. He knew when he said, Adam, don't eat of that fruit, he knew that they were going to do it. He knew that they were going to mess up. He knew it all along, and he knew all along that he was going to leave heaven and come to be part of the creation that he had created. That was his plan all along. Jesus coming and dying on the cross was not plan B. It was what God had planned all along, and we see God's love for us and the fact that he would send his son from heaven to earth to live a perfect life and to die the terrible death that he did to pay for your sins and my sins. He loves us unconditionally, and he loves us sacrificially. That's what marriage is supposed to look like. That's what Paul says here. This beautiful picture of marriage isn't just for you and your spouse. It's a reflection of Christ's love for you. You want to know that God loves you? Then hear me say this. He sent his son to die on the cross for you, to pay for your sins, for your mistakes, to make it so that you could have a relationship with him and so that you could have eternal life. Because he loves you. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot in this chapter. And again, we could have, we could have spent at least three or four weeks here. But I pray that you see this morning this overarching theme in Genesis chapter 2. And it's the love of God. The love of God in his creation of humans. The love of God in giving us commands to keep us from things that are going to harm us. The love of God in forming for us perfect companions and spouses that would be the perfect mate and sending his son for us to show us how to be that perfect mate to offer us salvation and forgiveness for our sins where we've messed up. We see such a beautiful picture of God's love in so many ways in this text. And so I pray this morning that if you're here and you've never heard of God that way, all you've ever heard is His power and authority and the fact that, that He's the one that needs to be in control and that He's the one that makes all these rules, and that's how you see His commands, is just rules to be followed. I pray this morning that for the first time you're starting to see that God isn't some, some dictator with a cold, hard heart, that God is a loving God that knit you together in your mother's womb, that has a purpose and a plan for your life and that gives those commands not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you. And he wants your life to be as abundant and full as it can be. And it will only be that if you're following the path that he has for you. If you've never known God that way, and you have questions about how to come and to know him, how to have a relationship with him, in just a moment we're going to have a time of response. And come, let me talk to you about that. I would love to show you that picture of God as this God who loves you and wants to be in a personal relationship with you and how to do that through faith in Jesus Christ. But I'd also say this morning that if you're here and you are a Christian and for too long you've forgotten one or the other, you think of God's love and mercy and forget about the fact that he should be the authority that you're following. You see him as the one that forgives you when you mess up, and so for too long you've leaned toward that and just kind of done your own thing and trusted that he's going to forgive you, that you'd be reminded this morning that he does love you and he does forgive you, but he does also expect you to follow his commands. Or if you've seen God as only that, that this morning that you'd be reminded 
that you don't have to live a legalistic life, that God doesn't quit loving you when you do make a mistake and mess up, but that he does love you and he does have mercy that is more than your sins, that he does forgive you because of the love that he has for you. This morning, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to have a time of invitation. If you need to come to these altars, to these stairs down here, and kneel before the Lord and pray to him, they're open to you. If you would like somebody to pray with you, I would love the opportunity to pray with you about anything this morning. If you have questions, I'd love to answer those questions. If you want to pray where you are, if you want to sing out of joy and excitement in response to this message this morning, I'm just going to ask that you would do whatever the Lord leads you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.